0: We're turning tonight to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin verse 1, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's hear the Lord's word. And have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. "'Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. "'But what things were gained to me, "'those I counted loss for Christ. "'Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss "'for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, "'for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, "'and do count them but dung, "'that I may win Christ.' I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And may the Lord bless that reading from his word for his name's sake. We bow for a moment in prayer before we begin the preaching and hearing of his word. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we do thank thee we're handling the book of life tonight, infallible. Oh God, we know it is truth, and it's truth that sanctifies, it's truth that reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And we need the help of the Spirit of God. If we're going to understand, if we're going to believe it and receive it and obey it. So for that Spirit's grace, we pray, bear this preacher along tonight in the message and make it to be a A lasting blessing, this message from thy word to the folk here, the folk in the webcast, and for all who will listen to this sermon for many months to come. Glorify thyself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's something beyond remarkable to be able to tell other Christians to imitate your life. Anyone can say the words, imitate me. But how many are there that can, with authority and with Holy Ghost-inspired honesty, tell other believers, imitate me, and you'll be all right. Just do what I do, and you'll be just fine. Live like I live. Talk like I talk. Think like I think. Act like I act. And yet that's exactly what Paul does in verse 17 of this chapter. He tells these Philippian believers, Brethren, be followers together of me. A more literal rendering of that would be, Brothers, join others in following my example. There are those who are following my example, and you need to join them. He is telling these Christians, in essence, If you want to know how to live the Christian life, just look at me. Study the pattern I have left you. Take my lead, and you'll do well. It would seem an arrogant thing to say, but one thing Paul was not was arrogant. The same man who in five other places in his epistles exhorted Christians to imitate him also declared that he was the chief of sinners, that he was less than least of all the saints. It was Paul in this very chapter who declared that all of his accomplishments as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a keeper of the law, he viewed them as dung. It was the same apostle who wrote to the Corinthian church, by the grace of God, I am what I am. However conceited, man may think his exhortations to mimic him may be. It can never be said that Paul was full of himself. I have no doubt whatsoever when he said, imitate me, he would have been saying, imitate my humility. Imitate my humbleness of mind. We also must be careful to note that what he went on to say in the same verse. And mark them, verse 17. That means contemplate, carefully consider them. There's our thinking again. Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. In other words Paul is saying not only do I want you to follow my example but be sure that you take note of others who have who are behaving according to the pattern we left you make sure you pattern your life after them as well therefore not only was Paul's life to be held up as a pattern for Christians how to live. But there were other Christians not so famous as Paul who also had a life that could be marked out as an example to be followed. Why? Now there's the question. We could say from Paul's words it's because that These believers themselves had followed Paul's pattern. And therefore to follow them, those who were following Paul, would in essence be to follow Paul. While that answer would be true in and of itself, it does not give us the whole truth. The whole truth is found in a statement that Paul makes to the Corinthian church in chapter 11 of that epistle. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ... Now that explains everything. Paul imitated Christ. Not perfectly, but as much as the grace of God was in him, and the Holy Ghost filled him, this apostle walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And therefore, he could tell others quite honestly, and quite humbly, follow me. And following him, he's saying, in essence, you're following Christ. That's a big statement. That is a massive statement. You follow me, you're following Christ, because I'm following Christ. You won't go wrong. You'll not be led astray. You, you, you couldn't think for one moment that if he thought for, for, for a second that his behavior might lead them astray, he would he'd never say, follow me. But he said it on more than one occasion. Imitate me. He was what he was by the grace of God. And that was a very clear testimony in the life of the Apostle Paul. His ability to humbly tell others, humbly tell them to follow him because his life was patterned after the life of Jesus Christ is an indication, if nothing else, of how mightily the grace of God was at work in his life. What about us? Would Paul be able, if he were alive today, to tell other believers in this church, as he did to the believers in the church at Philippi, Just follow them, imitate them, and you'll be fine. Look at their life. Mimic them. Well, the answer to that question would depend on whether or not we have patterned our life after Christ whether or not we have followed the footsteps of Paul. It's for that reason that I want to draw your attention for a little bit tonight in verses 13 and 14. Well known. So many Christians have memorized this. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. From those two verses, I want to speak tonight on Paul's life. Paul's life as a pattern for Christ-like living. If Paul tells us, imitate me, then we want to find out how he lived. Right? Mimic me. If believers in Paul's day could learn how to live like Christ by watching Paul, then it would follow that believers in our day, we could do the same. When someone says, follow me, do as I do, well, I've got to find out how you do. I've got to find out how you live. I've got to find out how you think. So let's look first, and the first point might surprise you. I want us to look at the shortcomings in Paul's life. It might seem strange that we should begin here with a study of this apostle as an example of a Christ-like life. Remember, our attention is really upon Christ. Even though I'm talking about Paul, I'm talking about Christ. Because he's saying, I'm following Christ. I'm imitating him, so you're safe to follow me. But here's where Paul himself begins... Before he ever gets to saying, imitate me, he begins with his own shortcomings. And he does so using an image that would have been well known to the Gentiles of his day, the image of a runner in a race. So verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He has not reached the goal yet. He has not crossed the finish line. Now in its context... That statement tacitly struck at the Judaizers who in that day are attempting to woo these Gentile believers away from the gospel. And they were claiming, it, it smells of the church at Corinth as well, what was going on there. But they were claiming they had already reached perfection. He's really taking a shot at them. They had already reached perfection. How? Not by following Christ, but by following the law, the law of Moses. Don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to Paul. Their confidence, therefore, was in the flesh. That's why that bit about I count all things but dung. Their confidence was in the flesh. In their circumcision, And in their adherence to the law of Moses, they had, in their estimation, already apprehended the goal of perfection. We've arrived. Follow us. But Paul makes it clear that even though he had counted all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he still had not reached perfection. I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't think I've arrived. That's not my mindset at all. In other words, as much as he was striving to be like Christ, he knew he still fell far short of perfection. He still had many shortcomings. He still had many flaws. He still had sin in his life. So if if ever there was a man... Uh, who followed after Christ, hard after Christ, it was Paul. And yet for all of that hard following, striving, laboring to be like Christ, he was plagued with shortcomings. All you've got to do is read Romans chapter 7, and he tells you about them. What does that fact say to you and me? Well, it says a couple of things. If this man had not reached perfection, this one who had so abandoned himself to the pursuit of Jesus Christ, what does that say about you and me? If he had shortcomings, if he had flaws, if he had sins and he had failures, what does that say about you and me? In spirituality, wisdom, likeness to Christ, Paul was light years ahead of all of us. Light years. Look at his burden for souls. He could wish himself accursed for his kinsmen according to the flesh. It's easy to read that. But he wasn't exaggerating. He was writing under inspiration. He was telling the truth. This is exactly how he felt. I could wish myself accursed. Look at his sufferings for Christ and the gospel. We read that list back in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 of all that he had gone through for the sake of the gospel. We haven't, we haven't faced that. It's not that we haven't suffered, but. Neither you nor I have suffered like Paul suffered for the Christ, for the gospel. Consider his humility. This was one humble man. So gifted. A genius by any stretch of the imagination. Full of power. But he walked humbly. Look long and hard at his love for Christ. You can't read Paul's epistles without realizing this man was in love with the Lord. Every page just breathes his affection for his Savior. Couldn't say enough about him. Couldn't speak highly enough for Christ. It was natural to him. It was his element. For me to live as Christ. Consider his unflinching obedience to the word of God. Yes, I'll become all things to all men for the sake of their salvation, but I will not budge when it comes to the gospel. I'm not going to compromise. I am set for the defense of the gospel. I'm fixed. And yet he says... I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't think I've reached it. The fact of the matter is that those Christians most eminent in holiness of life, those Christians who have been most eminent in holiness of life don't see themselves that way. They do not see themselves as eminent in holiness. they don't give the impression that they are better than, that they have arrived. Others may well see it, but they don't. Because like Paul, they're walking with the Lord. They're following him. They're imitating Christ. Their eyes are upon him. And so, when you have that understanding, then you are brought to see your shortcomings very quickly. And your imperfections. You understand better and better what you have not laid hold of yet. What you have not become in the way of Christ-likeness yet. You see, when arrogance rears its ugly head in the life of a Christian, it just tells me they're not walking with the They are not walking with the Lord. You, you, can't, you can't follow him. You can't walk with him. And not understand, I am what I am by the grace of God. First time I read, first time, because I've read it several times, first time I've read the, the, the diary of Andrew Bonner, you're taken with this fact. I'd just like to have known the man, just from reading his diary, little entries. His life and his sermons were just saturated with Christ. This man spent hours in prayer. I mean, hours. Not once in a while. This was a regular occurrence. And yet, you find him at the end of his diary, toward the end of his life, lamenting his own prayerlessness. It's amazing. You see, Paul lets them know he hadn't arrived. He had not yet apprehended. Because he knew we need to see our, uh, we need to have a right view of ourselves to see our own shortcomings to understand what our spiritual state is actually like. We, we need a fresh sight of the fact that we've not obtained. we've got a long, long way to go. We don't have anything to boast in. Nothing to brag about. Nothing to look down our nose at any other Christian. You see, we need to get as low as the grace of God will take us so that our attitude will not be Lord, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are. But it will be one of God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because if that doesn't happen, we will be complacent, and we will become self-satisfied with where we are. It's only when you... Don't just acknowledge it in your head... Anyone can do that. But it's when you are brought into the reality of it. Those who are brought there see and feel their need. They're the ones that are moved to do something about it. Otherwise, it's smug self-satisfaction. You just don't get that from Paul's writings whether it was his own life or the lives of God's people. Everything he was saying was telling them, you have a long way to go. Don't be proud, condescending. See where you are and understand there's so much you have to learn about Christ. And so much you have by way of imitating him. You see, the the closer we get to Christ, the more we see of his perfections. The more we see our imperfections. That's that's going to happen. The more we see of His beauty, the more we're going to see what's not beautiful about us, what's not pleasant to look upon. So, you know, I'm talking about getting closer to Christ so you see more of His perfections, His glories, who He is and what He has done, all those things. So if if we live without prayer and reading the Scriptures, which brings us into Christ's presence, if it's done properly, if we live without that, then we will imagine that all is well. And there's not really a whole lot that I've got to strive for, press for. but when we see the glory of Christ by living communion with him we're going to say with Isaiah woe is me for I am undone a man of unclean lips the prophet said that a mighty prophet woe is me But there's something else, even with his shortcomings. And here's the wonderfully encouraging part. All of it is encouraging when reviewed rightly, but this comes like a bomb of Gilead when you have been made to hear you're not what you think you are. You're not as far along in Christ's likeness as you think you are. It's good that I can now come and tell you, even with Paul's shortcomings, he still lived close to Christ. That didn't His failures, his blemishes, his flaws, the things he knew he had not uh, attained yet in his knowledge of Christ and the power of his resurrection, still that did not keep him from living close to Christ. He wasn't perfect yet. He knew it. Like all of us, he had sinned. But still, he was able to walk in close communion with the Lord. You see, I think sometimes the devil gets God's people to believe, convinces them that because they have so many shortcomings, so many blemishes, so many failures, so much sin, that they can never live near the Lord. There's just too much wrong. Oh, Paul, he can live near the Lord, but not me. It's a lie. It's a flat-out lie. Why would you be satisfied with something less like that? Why would you be? What's the witness of Scripture? What what does Scripture teach us about men and their Christians, believers and their sins, and their communion with God? Now, I look at Abraham, the father of the faithful, <laughs> and he had some real problems he had some real problems with faith F- funny thing is the father of the faithful what do you think Hagar was all about Ishmael He's lying to the king about his wife what was that all about The the Word of God does not waste any time to pointing out that the godliest of saints are marred. But they still walk with God. What about Isaac? What about Jacob? Some of the things that Job said when the Lord said of Job there's none like him one that fears God and eschews evil some of the things he said were just wrong they were wrong they were not becoming to someone who was a child of God but that man was close to the Lord David Hmm. what about Peter For that matter, what about Martin Luther? He had some real problems, you know. But he knew God. And he walked with him. They walked with God. And you can too. Oh, I'm not saying ignore the faults. Obviously, that's what I have spent my last 10 minutes on. Acknowledge them. Don't try to pretend that you're something that you're not. Don't wear the mask. Don't try to cover up. And to fool people. Paul didn't. don't try to deny the flaws and the failures and the sins, or to make little of them. But don't let the existence of sin and spiritual weakness in your life leave you dreaming that this is all you'll ever know of Christ, that you can't walk with him. You can't get nearer to him. The second thing, moving on from the shortcomings of Paul, I want you to look at the scrapbook of Paul's life. The scrapbook is one of those things that people assemble to remember things of the past. I've got a, a filing cabinet where I've got several file folders of memorabilia. Some family, some church, it's all. And one day, one day, I'm, when I've got all this kind of time on my hands, that day ever comes i don't know that i'll make a scrapbook but you know i'll somehow arrange words all together and i'll be able to go back and remember that letter that was written at a time when i so much needed it or that answer to prayer that god sent along or that letter from one of the children that so brightened my day or that that picture that was colored by the child when they were 6 or 7 for daddy What you find in scrapbooks tell you a lot about the individual who compiled it. What they value. What's important to them. There's a reason they're keeping that. Whatever it is. But when you open up the scrapbook of Paul's life, what do you find? What's he stored up? Nothing. Nothing. That's why it writes in verse 13 forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting them. Not only did Paul have a correct estimate on his present state, I've not obtained perfection, he also had a right view of his past. Again, here's the image of the Greek runner who, who dare not look behind him. That would take his eyes off of this goal that was before him, which was the finish line. They don't look back, if they're wise. I'm sure you've seen the even modern day races where runners have done that very thing, and they've tripped, and they fall. They were in the lead, and they looked back, and they tripped, and down they went, and they lost. Paul is using that imagery right here of the runner. I am not forgetting those things which are behind. I'm not looking back. If we're going to imitate Paul, then we're going to have to learn how to run this Christian race. And that means we have to learn how to refrain from looking back at the past. I mean, in the first place, refrain from looking back at the sins and failures of our past. There are plenty of Christians who keep a scrapbook of all their past failures, their past bad decisions, their past sins of yesteryear, or even their sins of yesterday. They scrapbook it. They collect them, store them up. And they live in a state of constant regret. If only, if only is the, the thought that grips their mind. If only. If only I hadn't done this. If only I had done that. Things would be so different. regret. And their absorption with, the, with their past and all these regrets paralyzes them. And they make very little progress toward the goal. They are just keep looking at their past. I wish things had been different. I wish this had happened. I wish that had happened. Why didn't the Lord do this? Why didn't the Lord do that? He knew this would mean this. He knew that would mean that. You see, it's looking back. <laughs> you see, when you look back, That's why Paul is saying this, forgetting those things which are behind. When you look back, you're not looking ahead to the goal. And you're not looking ahead to Christ. How can you follow Christ? How can you imitate Christ? It's eyes forward on him, watching him, learning him, so you might follow him. But if you keep looking back on the past and all the sins and failures, then you're not looking often to Jesus, are you? You're not doing that. And so do you actually expect to grow in Christ-likeness if you're doing that? Because your eyes aren't on him, are they? The fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, what's past is past. You can't undo history. You can and you should learn from it. but you can't reverse it. Yesterday is history. What's done is done. We can wish all day long that we had done things differently, that we had said things differently, That we had more power over sin, that we had been more faithful, that we had not failed the Lord as often as we did. But all of our wishing is not going to change one thing about that past. It's not going to change it. That doesn't mean that we don't learn from our mistakes. But we don't learn from our failures. But looking at our failures like that, looking back, is really going to hinder our progress. It's going to really hinder our likeness to Christ. The Lord did not save us to live in regret. He saved us to deliver us from living in regret. Always looking forward. Always looking forward. Not only do we not look back at the sins and the failures of the past, but we don't look back at the progress we've made. This really is closer to what Paul is getting at in the context. The Greek runner would be foolish to look over his shoulder to see what ground he's covered and and what he's passed. All that concerns him is that piece of real estate in front of him and particularly the finish line. You see, if... If we look back at what we have accomplished in the Christian life, at what sins we have conquered, at what ground that we've gained, the the, the, the very real temptation that we set before ourselves is that we will become very complacent with where we are. We will be satisfied. will slack off in the race. You become in jeopardy of depending upon your past laurels. We imagine that the race is run just because we've advanced a bit here and a bit there. We've become perhaps more generous in our giving, more generous in our patience. We've gotten better in prayer. And I use that term advisedly. There is a bettering of our prayer lives, a deepening of them that we seek to obtain. better in our knowledge understanding of the gospel of the scriptures that's good we should grow in prayer and we should grow in the word of god it's a blessed thing to advance in all those things but don't stop and pat yourself on the back thank god for what he's done for you it's all of grace in the first place it's not because of you it's because of grace that you've made any advancement and so you thank the lord for it and you move on and you keep running forward Forget about what you've obtained. We can't live on the past. That is always the danger. We must continually forget about it. So if you're looking at your spiritual scrapbook, throw it in the trash can. Forgetting those things which are behind. Finally, the simplicity of Paul's life. Verse 13: This one thing I do. This one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press, I strive, I strain, I reach. For this mark. You see, Paul's Paul's view of life was very simplistic. There's one thing, one thing I'm striving for. This one thing I do. He had boiled the whole business of the Christian life down to one simple thing. It wasn't complicated. One of the great ways that Satan has of robbing God's people of the enjoyment and the experience of Christ is to get their lives focused where they are complicated with many things. I mean, you would expect that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect the devil to be working at that since he, he, is, he, has, he has read this? He knew how mighty Paul was. He understood there was one thing that Paul was reaching for. Well, that's the one thing I've got to keep these Christians from understanding. So I will complicate their life. I'll put so many distractions in their life, just one distraction after another. So they'll forget all about that one thing, and I'll make their life so complex, so complicated. There's no shortage of things that can steal the Christian away From this one thing that's needful. It can be the job, the family, education, even church work. But you know, it it makes it makes life a whole lot simpler when you boil it down to one thing. What was the one thing that Paul was continually striving for? What was this mark? for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know what it was? The passage really tells you. What I'm striving for, the one thing I am striving for, is perfect likeness to Christ. That's it. It's then he says, follow me. that's what verses 10 and 11 are all about if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead not as though I'd already attained either were I was already perfect but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ I want to know him I want to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings I want to be perfectly like Jesus And that, to me, is astounding. He wasn't content with just being saved. He wasn't content with simply being an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the one thing I'm living for. He said, I just want to be exactly like him. That speaks volume about that man's heart. Volumes. So what do you what do you think when you have Christians who have don't don't have that figured out and they're living for this and they're stretching themselves for that and they're striving to be this and that and the other thing life is very complicated the Christian life becomes very very confusing Paul wants to go deeper he's not content with surface Paul's knowledge of Christ, as that knowledge of his, of his death deepens, it means his own experience of that death will deepen. His own experience. By that, I mean that When Paul participates more and more, that's the idea of the fellowship of his suffering, participate in the sufferings of Christ, conformable unto his death. When he participates more and more in Christ's death, what happens to him? Well, there's going to be two things. One, there's going to be an inward dying to sin as he enters into being like Jesus, Remember, that's the, that's the argument in Romans 6, dead to sin. There's a legal death that takes place, but all oh, that is the ground of the inward mortification of sin in our lives. And Paul knows that. I, I, I follow Christ. I, I stretch for him to live close to him, to walk in his footsteps. There's going to be a dying to sin in my life. If I don't do that, then that death to sin is not going to make a whole lot of progress. I'm not going to look a whole lot like Jesus says I could. And that's why I told Paul told the Corinthian church you are yet carnal. You're acting like you're acting like the ungodly. Not only did he want to enter into the striving for enter to the fellowship of his death but also the power of his resurrection from the dead you see when you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is this is the, he's the life study and there's an experience of power spiritual power that comes to the child of God Life. You see, the very nature of faith and the e- efficacy of faith is to bring Christ's people to know Him in His death and resurrection. The object of faith is always Christ. It's always Jesus Christ. It's always his death and his resurrection. It's always his person and his work. That is always the supreme object of our faith. And by faith, as we apprehend Christ, we are apprehended of him. And you want to know what happens? Likeness to Jesus. There's no other way but this. There's not a seminar you can go to. There's no book you can read. Our one simple, single pursuit that must trump everything, every day, every month, every year, must be to know Christ. His death, his resurrection that we might be conformed to that image. Brothers and sisters, isn't isn't this what it's all about? Right? For when we see him we shall be like him. Does that not say what it's all about here? When we see him, John says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What in the world is that saying about us right here and now? In beholding and seeing and contemplating and considering and following Jesus Christ. If that is what takes place when we see him literally, we'll be like him. It isn't the message there? The more we see him now, the more we press for the mark of the price of the eye, calling of God now, the more we'll be like him. Well, enough said. It's all time for the, for the action to follow the learning of the truth. May God give us grace to do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, it is in that name that's above every name that we come and ask thee to stamp thine image of thy Son upon our hearts. We pray that we would learn of him. We don't want Lord Philippians chapter 3 to be some nice chapter that we memorize, that we preach about, and say to ourselves, my what a godly Christian Paul was. Oh, it would be nice to be like that. And then walk away and carry on as usual. Lord, we need the Spirit of God to work in us what was wrought in Paul. We pray, Lord, Lord, For those eyes that desire to see the Lord and the heart that wants to love him with all its might, to be like him. For that is the best thing we can do to glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.